Well, I see some faces I haven't met yet before, and if I haven't met you, hello, good morning. I'm Carrie, and I'm delighted to be serving New City right now. I feel like every week um, that I've been here, I've just been more and more excited to see you all and to grow with you and um, be on this journey together. Um, I thought about something. I, I wanted to share a little bit about my testimony with you this morning because I think it relates to how we identify ourselves and give and give ourselves meaning and being known in the world. Um, I grew up on a farm in northern Minnesota. I don't know if any of you know that, but I'm a farm girl. My dad had Jersey dairy cattle, and there is a difference between dairy cattle. I mean, I will, I will fight for that one, definitely. Um, Jersey dairy cattle are like pets. They're like, they're like nice dogs. They're really wonderful. They're just big dogs, um, and they give really good milk. <laughs> um, they're different than Guernseys. They're different than Holsteins. They're, they're different. Um, so anyway, I grew up on a farm in a really small rural community. Um, I thought about this. Everybody in our church I think I was related to. So literally, I mean, there, I, we were talking this week to somebody, and I'm like, I think I have like 200 first, second, and third cousins. We, we were all in this big community, and there was a lot of um, kids that came out of my um, grandma's family, and we all lived on the same road. Um, and so it was just a really big extended family, and it, it, it went into our church. Um, it was a Lutheran church, and um, the most exciting thing that happened in church was if Marilyn, the church organist, hit the button on the organ, then it gave like a oompa. And um, and people like some of the older people would like look around like oh no we're getting charismatic, um, so that that was kind of my church. But everybody in my church loved Jesus deeply and passionately. Um, we didn't have a rock band, you know that was that would have been that wouldn't have happened. Um, we didn't even have like a gifted guitar player, but we had Jesus. And I grew up around adults that showed me who Jesus was and modeled his love in tangible and real ways. And the irony was my parents at the time were not following Jesus. I, I, my parents were really young when they had me, um, but they knew somehow that the right thing to do was to bring me to church. Um, I wish I had had, I'll, I'll find it. I have a picture of my baptism with my mom and my dad in their 70s clothes and my godparents and our pastor um, and me. And, and that's such an important picture to me because it shows me that even before I could call upon Jesus' name, that he was calling out to me. He was drawing me through my parents, even though my parents didn't fully know him. And the beautiful thing is both my parents do know him. So that's another part of the story. Um, but I can't ever tell you that I did not know a day in my life where I didn't know Jesus or know his love. I know that might sound really strange, but there was never a moment where I haven't known his presence. I never wanted to be without his presence. And then when I was about eight years old, I went to Bible camp, this tiny Bible camp in Sandstone, Minnesota, called Grindstone Lake Bible Camp. It is not a fancy camp at all. I've, I've been to a lot of fancy camps. I've spoken at camps, and this camp had zero bells and whistles. We had that tetherball pole. <laughs> That's what we had, and we had a slide into a really deep, cold lake, Grindstone Lake. It's really deep. Um, that was all we had, but we had Jesus. And at that camp, I remember clearly the tug of the Holy Spirit summoning me, beckoning me to come and surrender my life to Christ. And I walked up the 
the you know the, the chapel I think had a tin roof on it because when it rained it was really loud concrete floor but I remember walking up at the age of eight as the pastor asked anybody that wanted to let Jesus be their Lord and Savior and forgive them for their sins and I I just felt I I don't know how to describe it but a physical quickening within me I could not keep my feet in my seat and walking up to say yes Jesus I will follow you. I know I'm a sinner. It was probably the first time I was cognizant of my sin. It was like this overwhelming understanding that there was something that was between me and Jesus who was holy and pure and perfect. And there's been no turning back. And so my whole life changed in that, in that moment. Um, and so my identity is truly found in Christ. And at the age of 10, um, same camp, um, Two years later, I felt a very deep conviction that I was going to serve God someday. And I remember my dad picking me up in his truck <laughs> to bring me home. And I said, Dad, I think I'm going to be a pastor someday. And my dad like, was like, girls can't be pastors. And I'm like, oh, that never occurred to me that that was a part of the deal. And so then I was like, huh. But I'm like, I really feel like God wants me to serve him. And, and I, I was like, I... I ask parents um, and children what they play because I really believe that what children play is part of the gifting that the Lord has on them and it, and it works out in what they're playing. When I was a little girl, I played church. Um, all, I had a whole bunch of Barbies. I had one Ken. They all married Ken. There was polygamy happening. Um, I, had, I, would have, I would have funerals for the Barbies and Ken. Um, we would have, my sister and I had the entire um, liturgy of the Lutheran Book of Worship memorized. And, we would, and she was the worship, um, she was a really good singer. She would sing. I would give the sermons to the stuffed animals. And, um, and that was how I played. And so... God's call to me and through me became very um, evident at a young age. And, um, and here I am today, I'm almost 46 years old, and he's still not done with me, but again, my identity is found in Christ, and that is who I am. So this sermon was really exciting to think about this week and to share with you because as we, as we look at the early followers of Christ um, and I think about the ragtag group of, of men and women that Jesus chose. I don't know, has any of you like been watching the, the video on if it's YouTube called The Chosen? It's really good. I was kind of like skeptical about it because it's, some of those things are just so cheesy and you're just like, oh, cringe. Don't let any of my non-Christian friends watch this because they're going to be like, ah, it's so weird. But this isn't weird. It's actually really good. Um, I could give a shameless plug for it. But I've been thinking about the identities of the people that first were chosen by Jesus and that we're first following him and how we are evidence. We are, you know, children of that in a sense. And how they, um, their identity was as Jewish monotheistic um, people looking for the Messiah. They were trying to live their lives as best as they could to follow God's commands in the Torah. They were trying to live out an identity of being um, captives in a land that was theirs, but with um, ocu occupying forces. And then they met Jesus, and their lives were totally changed, just like maybe all of you could say at one point in your life, you met Jesus, and your life was tipped upside down and right side up, kind of like mine at Lake Beauty or Grindstone Lake Bible Camp. So an interesting thing I was thinking about this past week is that in Acts 1.8, um, it says this, Jesus was talking to his followers. We, you know, we know that he died, 
He rose again. He appeared to his um, people for about 40 days. We, we know so little about that time. That's like a time I'm really curious about. We, we don't have like a lot of extra biblical um, evidence of that. But he appeared on and off for 40 days instructing them. He said to them, but when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, it's really interesting to think about the early disciples. They were learners. That was what a disciple was. If you were a disciple of somebody, let's pretend you were a disciple of Mary. I've heard, Mary, that you are, not Mary, your mother is Mary. Sally, sorry. That'd be a good compliment, though. Um, I heard Sally is a good cook. I've heard. The, the rumor is out, Sally. So it means that if I was going to be a disciple of Sally, I would follow her. I would learn to cook exactly like she cooks. I would make messes like Sally makes messes. I know Sally doesn't look like she makes messes, but maybe she does. I would learn how to like use my whisk like Sally does. I would measure. I would do everything. I would, be, I would do and model just like Sally so I could be like her. And so when Jesus chose this, this group of 12, and there was women also that followed him, they became like Jesus. They sat like he sat. They got up like he got up. They spoke. They did. They learned. And, and so they tried to copy in him every way. And you think about the gift that they had. Jesus dwelt among them. He dwelt among them in everyday life. They saw him make spit to heal somebody out of dirt. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him confront the, the religious um, Pharisees and the people that, that were trying so hard to do all the right things, and, and they saw Jesus do everything. And then they see him rise again. They meet with him again. The unthinkable has happened. He is there. And then they see the ascension. They see him taken from them. And then they are told to go and wait. They're told to wait for something they don't quite know is going to happen, um, I think it's really interesting that they waited and that they obeyed because so often waiting is so hard for us. You know, we're told to wait. And I think like the biggest like disasters we've had, like when our family's been at amusement parks or large places is when we're like, okay, wait here for 10 minutes and I'll be right back. And then you're sitting there and you're like, mm, I can go, go do this one thing really quick. And then you come back and you miss each other, you know, or, or you're told to wait and then you're like, I can't wait that long, it's too long. And you're leaving and that person comes back. Well, they waited and they did what Jesus said. And then they had this amazing thing happen. Um, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and everything changed. So some things just to think about is that their identities were transformed. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they received a new identity. They were, they were not just disciples and learners anymore. They were witnesses. That was how the change happened. So I've been wondering and, and wanting you to process with me, um, where do you receive your source of identity? Um, I think something that's really, really interesting for us as human beings is there's so many things that define us and make up who we are. Um, there's, I have a little image here to show you. Um, the components of identity. And I think this is really a good thing to think about right now because in our culture right now, and I think this is a, a big part of, of our church, our churches, is that our identity has gotten really skewed. Um, so much of our identity right now comes from so many other places other than Jesus Christ. And my hope, and my hope right now, I guess, in, in this time that I have with you all, is that you know, the, the beautiful thing about an interim pastor is that we can kind of re-examine some things. 
we can look at who you are as a church, where you're going, what you're doing, why, how, all those things, and then get you ready for the next. But one thing that's really important to me is identity. And so there, there's some components of identity that I, I wanted you to consider. Um, so many people like will say, I've caught myself like, um, my name is Carrie, and I, you know, before I, before I started working as a um, marriage and family therapist, I was associate pastor at the time. I'm Pastor Carrie. I'm, I'm pastor at Linwood Covenant Church. Or I would say, I'm Pastor Carrie. I'm the interim pastor here at New City. Or, or I'd be at a soccer game or a football game. Oh, I'm, I'm Will or Jake or Margaret or Andrew's mom. Um, our political views. I think this is probably the most dangerous place we're at right now in our culture right now is our political views are identifying us. I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. I'm a progressive. I'm a moderate. I'm a libertarian. I'm this. I'm that. Our religious beliefs, and religious beliefs are good in themselves, but if it becomes this is what I don't do that defines me rather than who defines me, then our religious views can get out of whack. Our relationships can, can identify us. Um, I, I think about like if, if you've been married and, you, and you're divorced and all of a sudden your identity becomes I'm divorced or, or I've never gotten married, I'm single, then, then my relationship status could identify me. My ethnic identity can, can identify me. Um, what, whatever, how we define ourselves racially can identify us. Our personality, if you haven't figured this out, I'm an extrovert. I seek out friends. Like I go to the grocery store thinking, I could meet somebody here. I could have a conversation with the clerk. I could see somebody I know. Um, extroverts go and find people. Introverts are like, my husband's introvert. He's like, I go to the store. It takes him like five minutes to grocery shop because he's like, get in, get out. Didn't talk to anybody. I'm good. Not me. But our personalities so often can define us too of, of how, you know, how we are. Do we like people, not like people? Our body image. Um, it's really interesting. My sister, um, maybe sometime you'll get to me, or my sister's wonderful. Her name is Jamie. She's fantastic. Um, my sister in the past year has, like, two years, has lost 100 pounds. She's just, she, like, just took charge of her health, and she, man, it's really exciting. And, and her whole body image went from, like, she, I think in her head, she's like, I still identify myself as an overweight person. And, and that's kind of in, in her head. And she's, you know, she doesn't even look like the same person. If you saw her, you'd be like, whoa, you've had a complete identity transformation. All those things make up parts of us. You know, as a therapist, we do often parts work with people. Um, and what part makes up you but not the whole? In Gestalt therapy, it's, it's, it's saying that it's, it's looking for the whole, but then there's parts to the whole. So in our identity as Christ followers is to think about who I am formed out of Christ and does that define me? And the, the really important thing is to say if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never surrendered to him, then you're, you can't do that. You're still kind of at that list of all those things defining you. But I will tell you when Jesus Christ comes in and he takes ownership and occupancy of you, then he is the defining element of who you are and not all those things. All those things are part, but not us. So one thing that's really exciting to think about is when the Holy Spirit came upon the followers of of Jesus at that point, a new identity was born, a new purpose, a new mission, everything changed. And that was the mark of who they were 
as, as people. And I think that's really important that we just maybe sit with what, what was that like for them because they had gone from following, following Jesus. They were still Jewish people. You know, men were defined by being circumcised. Um, they were, they were part of a tribe. You were, you, genealogy is really big. You knew what family group. Remember I told you that like I had this big family. Um, it was the Kegger family and it wasn't like Kegger, like beer Kegger. It was K-O-E-C-H-E-R, like culture, but it was Kegger. Well, Think about all those things, how we look to that gives us meaning or definition or, or identity or value in the world. All of a sudden, the followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they have new identity, and they are not the same. So this event, um, if you've got your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 1. Um, this event that Jesus was saying, they didn't even know the, the, the timing. Jesus just said, go to Jerusalem. And he said, and wait. Um, in Acts chapter 1, he said, when he, and it says, when he was eating with them, he gave them a command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's really important to just sit with for a minute because first of all, the Holy Spirit up to that point came and went. The Holy Spirit didn't just come and dwell. Um, that's why like in... In Psalm 51, after King David had sinned by, by you know, raping Bathsheba and getting her pregnant and killing her husband and doing all those terrible things, he was so frantic, he said in Psalm 51, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He was terrified of, of the presence of God being taken from him. So this is interesting when you think about the followers of Jesus being told, you were baptized with water by John, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They probably had no idea what Jesus was talking about. But still, they went and they waited. And then they asked him some questions like, okay, what's going to happen? Are you going to restore the kingdom? I'm, I'm thinking at this point, and a lot of scholars have you know, speculated on this, that that was when they were like, oh, is this going to be when Jesus is going to like really boot the Romans out? It's going to be like, you know, um, think about SpongeBob when there's disasters in SpongeBob. It's I don't know if you watch Spongebob, but I do. But it's um, the, the mushroom clump, boosh. You know, I'm sure they thought that it was going to be boosh upon the Romans. And, and then it was all going to go down. Because they're like, are you going to restore the kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set. But you will receive power. And he's like, the power is not going to wipe out everybody. But you're going to be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the ascension happens. This is the one, the first of the big events. He's taken up. Um, I love this part because, you know, I love how, how the Bible's written because it just says it like it is. You can just see them. They're just staring. And we don't know how Jesus was taken away. I like to think it was just like this. But they're just staring and staring and staring. And we don't know how long they stared. But then... They get addressed by angels who come and kind of chastise them, like, guys, what are you doing? Why are you still standing here looking up at the sky? And then they get this wonderful promise that actually made me think of flannel graph. Have you ever seen flannel graph before? Okay. I'm going to bring flannel graph some Sunday just to do like an old school Sunday school lesson. But I grew up, there was no PowerPoint in our country church, but there was flannel graph. And so you had these like flannel character. Okay, now you're tracking. Someone's got me. Yes, so I, I went, my, my mind went back to flannel graph. Like we had this like, this um, fabric little wall thing and then you had P 
people and objects and you'd slap it on and slap it off. And, and I thought about the picture of Jesus that we had from the ascension of like him and his white, his white and his blue going up and everybody looking at him. And so we have this, we have this vision. He says, the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. And then we have the promise he's also coming back. And so that's where we, we start to understand some of the early theology of his. He is coming back. He is going to, ret- going to return. And then they replace, they replace Judas. They cast lots. Um, interesting fun fact, um, they, would put, they would have rocks, and they would have someone's name on it, or they would have the decision, and they'd shake the, they'd shake the container, and then they'd dump it out. And that's how they would know what, what the will of the person was. So they had two guys that had also seen Jesus, been with him, you know, been with the whole thing, and so that's who was chosen to replace him. So they're waiting. They're waiting more. It was, there was 120 followers of Christ that we have um, in 114. It says they were all together constantly in prayer, and they're waiting. And then we have Pentecost, the Feast of first fruits. And this is really important because Pentecost was a big celebration. There was many people gathered in Jerusalem. Um, this is the Greek word. I can't say it, but I thought I'd show you. It's a really important word, but it means it was fulfilled. The first fruits goes all the way back to the Old Testament when they would have this feast of, of giving thanks for the, the first fruits that God has given, and that's where we get the dedication of the firstborn. But it's saying that the first fruits, the first fruits of what was coming and the goodness was coming happened. And they're all together in one place, and then they experience this. They experience a theophany. And a theophany is a presence and an appearance of God in the Old Testament. The word theophany is a compound word of the Greek words theo, which means God, and phano, which means to appear. That is, a theophany refers to God appearing. So this happened. This is what happens. I'm in chapter 2. When, this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Again, they were waiting like Jesus said. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And it says in verse 5, they were saying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. So I don't know if any of you have ever been like a tornado or like a really violent storm, but that was all I could think about was probably the last really terrifying storm that our family was in and how loud it was and how, how it also made me wonder like what that must have been like to see and hear that loud sound, but not to see like the shingles going off or anything being destroyed and people came I'm sure because they were like, what's going on in that house? But instead, they hear this beautiful thing, and we, we hear it at the very bottom of um, 12. It says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And that was the point of the tongues, was that it was God enabling people who could not speak and praise and give prophetic utterance, the ability and the gift to do that so that God would be praised. And again, because what their identity was to be was to be witnesses. That is what it was for, to be witnesses. And everybody was like, what does this mean? They were amazed and perplexed. And then, of course, you get the snarky ones who point to they are drunk. In verse 13, nope, there was people that made fun of them, said that they've had too much wine. But that was not it. It was the Holy Spirit. 
And I love that Peter clarifies in verse 14. He stands up. Here we have Peter who had just gone from denying and betraying Jesus to, to being a, a proclaimer, a witness. And he says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you this. Listen up. These people aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. It's too early for that. And then he says, no, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit himself because he points back to the Old Testament. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then we get to the point of um, where Ian had read for us. He, he's saying, God raised Jesus from the, from the dead. You put him to death, but God, death couldn't hold him. God brought him back up because it was possible for death to keep its hold on him. And he says, God has raised Jesus from, the, from dead to life in verse 232. And we are all witnesses. Again, they go back to this is our identity. This is our purpose. We are all witnesses of it. And he is exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the Holy Spirit promised and has poured out on all of us who now see and hear. And so it's really important to think about that those people, they experienced something that was, you know, once in a lifetime. But we who follow Christ still bear that filling, that empowering of the Holy Spirit. And it's really exciting to think about how that means that that has something for us right now and here. And, and I've been really just thinking about um, just praying for you all that as, as you surrender and, and give your lives to Jesus every day that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be empowered in the ways that God has gifted you and, and blessed you to go out and, and be his hands and feet and be his body here. One of my favorite um, theologians, he was um, chaplain of the Senate, Lloyd Ogilvie, and he, he says this, he says, we have been instructed in the things Jesus did. You know, we have our Bibles, we can read it all. But know too little of what he continues to do today as indwelling spirit and engendering power. Church, it's really important that we think about that Jesus' power just wasn't there just at that time. It's still happening now if we will let, if we will let him if we will let him move and work and dwell. Um, my prayer for you, I, I wrote down this prayer for you, and it's, Lord, we need an outpouring from you, Holy Spirit. We cannot serve you or help other people come to know you without your empowerment. And I think this is the other thing that we have to pray, pray for. Please forgive us for resisting you. Forgive us for ignoring you. And please come and move in us today. I believe that Jesus is calling us to be witnesses unto him. And we must begin now. We must let the world see a demonstration of what the power of God can do when it works through a fellowship of people who love him and know him and are following him. I've thought about the, um, the movie, The Fellowship of the Rings, you know, The Lord of the Rings. Um, at the very end, they, they think it's all lost and all gone because they've all been separated and scattered. And just like right now, I think a lot of us are feeling separated and scattered. I think... People are still coming back. I'm sure there's people you're like, where did they go? Every church is going through this right now. It's really hard. I have a lot of pastor friends, and every church is, is it's like just dumped all around, and people are like, where are we? What are we doing? But to remember something, that, that Jesus' Holy Spirit is what keeps us together, and he is the one 
um, doing a new thing, and we just have to trust him. Pentecost was a demonstration of the power of God, and the result was empowerment and movement outward. I want you to think about some of the things that you're doing really well that I believe that God is going to continue to work in in this church and in this community. And first of all, I've heard that you joined together in prayer and in fellowship around food, which we get to do today. So I, my prayer and my hope is that we will keep doing that. We will, we will start back up again. We will join together constantly in prayer. We will pray for each other. Our focus will become on the repentance and gift of salvation and belief in Jesus Christ and that our identity comes from him and not other things of the world. That we will regain our identity as followers of Christ. We will start to learn together. We will read together. It's really interesting, and I don't know if you've ever caught this, but in Luke, where Jesus is hanging out with his, his followers, this is one of those in-between passages where we get a little a snippet of what Jesus was doing with his people. But in Luke 24, verse 45, it says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, my name. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father promised, but stay in the sea again. Jesus told them to wait, but he says Jesus opened their minds. And so as we read God's word together, as we pray together, I pray also that your minds will be open so that you can understand what God says. And, and also when you read his word and, and you're bathed in his word, that as you are witnesses in the everyday in your work, in your family, in your community, that you also will be filled with the Spirit to go out and to do what Jesus has called you to do and so that other people can come to know him. That is our purpose. I also hope that like in Acts 2, 42 through 47, you will continue to share and be generous with one another, that you will look for where people have need, um, that your church body will be like, hey, oh, I know somebody that's needing something, and they may be not even part of this group, and that's actually going to be the point, is look for people that you can bless. Look for people that God is going to be like, hey, pay attention, go and do. I pray also for unity, that your identity is not going to be individual. Fight against those things that are tearing the church apart right now, um, church I know of really well, they're, they're, they're right now, like it's kind of like split right down the middle because of politics. Do not let your politics define you. Let Jesus Christ define you and let him sort out all the rest. My prayer is that we will be so filled with the Holy Spirit that people will be like, what is it about you? What is it about you and you and you and you and you? Why are you the way you are? And that then you will speak to the identity of who you are because of Jesus Christ, because that is what changes our world. Amen. So this morning we get to celebrate communion together. Um, I want to show you all something, um, just as letting you know as my identity is being formed in Christ. Last night I was ordained. Um, the Covenant Church ordains its pastors at our annual meeting, and because of COVID, our annual meeting did not happen the way it, it was going to, but instead we were, um, there was 12 of us that were ordained at Minnehaha Academy last night. Thus, I am tired, and I'm, I'm sorry for it. <laughs> but we were given new Bibles. I have a, a heavier Bible than the one I was given before. And I was given a stole. 
And the stole is the yoke of Christ. It symbolizes the yoke of Christ over us as pastors. And I am mindful of my identity being formed from Christ and his presence and his empowerment with me and over me. And also that part of my identity is a servant, that I've been called to serve you and to be Jesus' hands and feet for you as well. And I also pray that you will be reminded of the yoke that he has over you. Jesus' yoke is easy. His burden is light. And he loves you, and he is for you and with you. And so may you think about, as we come to the communion table today, um, as you take the bread and the cup, um, that, that when we share communion, we are saying we have a common identity. We are brothers and sisters in Christ first, and that is who we are. That is where our identity is derived from, and Jesus is over us all. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. Many will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites those who trust him to share the feast which he has prepared. I invite you all... um, to pray with me as we um, prepare our hearts for communion, and then we are going to invite, let's see, left. I don't know my ref from my right, by the way. Um, those of you on the left, your right will come up first, and then my friends on my right, your left will come up second. Please pray with me. Oh, Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we worship you together. We thank and praise you for the gift of salvation. We thank you, Jesus, that you, you were obedient to, to go to the cross and to die in our place. Lord, we don't deserve it. It's so overwhelming to think about the fact that you loved us so much and your love was evidenced in giving your life for ours. Lord, thank you for the new life that we have when we are found in you. Lord, I pray for anyone here who has never truly surrendered their life to you. They've never said, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Yes, Jesus, I am your child. Yes, Jesus, please take me. Lord, for anyone here, young or old, who has never said yes to you, Jesus, I pray that they will say yes to you today. Father, I pray that we will follow you wholeheartedly, whatever the cost. I pray for courage, my friend, for my friends here, um, that you will give them courage to follow you and keep their eyes on you. And Lord, just renew our identity that will come from you each day. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb which says you didn't stay dead and that you have conquered sin, death, and the devil. And we can have so much confidence and joy in that truth. Thank you for the celebration of the bread and the juice to be reminded of your body and your blood given and shed for ours. In Jesus' name, amen.